and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode number 40, where today I'm joined by Kathleen James, who is the founder and CEO of WiseBytes. Before we do get started on the show, though, like I have in previous episodes, I do want to just take a couple of minutes to briefly chat about Food Pack, which is the organization that I work for in Vancouver, BC. Now, at Food Pack, there are a few things that we do really well, one of which is flexible packaging for your food-based product, and the other is equipment that coincides with that packaging and, um, you know, that a lot of manufacturers use out in the world. Uh, When it comes to flexible packaging, I guess the first point of the conversation is that we have a warehouse full of stock bags that we can get into your hands. So if you're after a turnkey solution, whether it's a stand-up pouch, a lay-flat pouch, or a vacuum bag, we've got a solution for you. Uh, We've got so many different sizes and uh, thicknesses of plastic that you can consider, all of which are obviously hinged on what it is that you're packaging up and what you want to achieve. Uh, The thing that we really focus on and do really well though are printed bags and printed projects. So if you are in the market for a new pouch or you want to review your existing pouch, you definitely need to get in touch and have a conversation with me about that. Um, If you're after a low run order of digital bags, so we're talking like an MOQ of around two and a half thousand pieces, or if you are in the market to get hundreds of thousands of bags into your hands, that's something we've absolutely got the capability to do. When it comes to the equipment component, uh, we're really lucky at food packing that we've got a showroom floor that's packed full of equipment that you can come on in and assess. So I'm talking about thermoformers, I'm talking about tray sealers, band sealers, and vacuum chambers, uh, all of which you're more than welcome to come on in and test. Um, I guess the value in that is that, you know, before you um, do invest in a huge capital expenditure for your business, it's really nice to know that it's something that is exactly what you're looking for and that it can achieve, you know, the production output that you are aiming for and that it's a piece of equipment that you can scale with within your organization as well. Um, If you'd like to get in touch with me and have a chat about equipment or any of our flexible pouches uh, and see what we can do to either add some value to your business or provide you some cost savings, definitely get in touch with me at Hayden at the Pack Heavy Podcast. You can also find me on LinkedIn, which I'm quite active on, or you can also DM me on Instagram as well. Okay, off to episode number 40. So founded in 2012, WiseBites is a family-owned food manufacturer and distributor of certified vegan, gluten-free, nut-free, kosher, and non-GMO baked goods that are all produced in their own dedicated facility, which is located just down the road from us at Food Pack here in Richmond, BC. Currently, they have a collection of over 23 SKUs of various cookies, muffins, and treats, all of which are proudly free of the top 11 allergens out in the world. And Wise Bites can be found in all of the large retail banners right across Canada in the gluten-free and health food section. Now, today's conversation with Kathleen was awesome. Um, She's an absolute powerhouse of a businesswoman. Uh, She has operated and, um, you know, successfully run five of her own businesses, one of which is Wise Bites. But honestly, my favorite part of the conversation was when she was talking about her consulting um, business that she operated overseas and also the ins and outs of, um, you know, where she is currently at and where she is working to with Wise Bites. I guess the most valuable uh, takeaway for me from this conversation was all of the work that they have put into um, the certification process at WiseBytes. You know, it's quite a um, extensive process. So whether we're talking about the expenditure that's required every year to uh, maintain your certifications, uh, the audits that are required, and um, you know, the amount of bookkeeping that's required as well. So if you're in the food-based business, which I'm sure most of you are, and you wanna get certified, this is an episode that you must tune into. So I'll get out of the way now. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Cheers. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. No worries. How's your morning been? Oh, it's been uh, sort of uh, busy on steroids this morning, but I was just laughing to one of the 
uh, co-workers that when I have a challenging morning, all I have to do is go downstairs and get my uh, favorite uh, little box of cookies and the whole day gets better. So <laughs> that's what I did today. That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, very good. I, um, I've been really excited to talk to you for quite some time now, actually, because you know, Wise Bites is so well known over here on um, the West Coast, and I'm sure it's getting more and more recognition as you grow east. And I'd love to really chat with you about that. And, um, you know, the path that you've taken to arrive at where you are today with the business. And I'd also love to really dig into your previous working history, because having a look at your profile on LinkedIn, you're extremely accomplished in the business world, and you've done a lot of work there too. And, um, and the other thing that we sort of touched on prior to hitting record was the fact that you are certified um, in so many different areas within the Wise Bites business, but you're also free of the top 10 food allergens, which is really impressive. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of guidance and insight that you could offer the audience on the process of getting audited and, you know, getting those certifications under your belts. Because, you know, I can imagine that for somebody that's starting out and they've got all of the intentions of becoming certified in these areas, it could be really daunting, especially when it comes to, you know, the process involved in um, ensuring all of that happens. So I guess to kick it off, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Oh, I, I am proudly from Alberta, actually. Really? Of course, if you push me a little bit on that, I would, I would have to claim the Irish heritage as well. Okay. Both mum and dad are from Ireland? Uh, yeah, uh, on my father's side. Okay, cool. What town in Alberta did you grow up in? Oh, uh, well, I grew up in rural area. Um, okay. So for people listening to this podcast, it probably would make more sense for them to say um, straight east of Red Deer, Red Deer Alberta. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in a rural community around Castor, Alberta would probably make more sense. But east, east of Red Deer, 120 miles. So really only 60 miles from the Saskatchewan border. Right, right. Yes. Oh, very good. And did you grow up on a farm? What were your parents I doing? I did. It was a beautiful, um, yeah, it was a really beautiful farm and, uh, you know, sort of a thousand acres of uh, cultivated land and also raised a lot of cattle, hmm. um, purebred cattle and purebred horses. Uh, so it is kind of interesting of the irony that um, I ended up, you know, <laughs> having a company that doesn't use wheat, gluten-free yeah. and, uh, and uh, vegetarian. So, uh, Vegan. Very good. Yeah, growing up on a farm, I can imagine would have had a huge impact on you as a person, you know, the way that you or the lens that you view the world from. Um, what impact has it had on your life? Well, it certainly makes me, um, uh, I think I, I uh, capable, I'm going to say the word capable, because mm. Growing up a farm, I'm sure it was like this for most kids. Maybe it wasn't, but for me, you know, you just learn to do things very quickly. I was delivering food to fields in, in a vehicle by the time I was 10 years old. Yeah. Um, so driving was just what you did, you know. And um, and so you 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 drive early, you haul grain early, you you back up to uh, big augers. You you just have a lot of responsibility in terms of operating heavy equipment and um, driving a four and a five axle. You know, these are these are things I just grew up when it was time to be get my um, driver's license as a matter of fact I just simply drove myself to town parked on the side of the place <laughs> and got it but I'd already been driving for five years so yeah you know uh that's that's a very typical story for farm kids in rural Alberta yeah I can only imagine and um you know the exposure to actually seeing where your food comes from as well mm -hmm. oh absolutely and it actually to be honest impacted why I became uh, a non-meat eater <laughs> really because okay. I love the, I love these animals and it just never made sense to me to eat them so yeah. um yes I mean we we did have beautiful pure or my father had beautiful pure red cattle and when I uh, uh actually farmed that myself as an adult for 10 years and it just it just it was really difficult for me to get my head around actually eating these these animals so yeah yeah that's uh, had an impact uh knowing where the grain comes from and uh you know, how important, you know, not having products that are genetically modified. Mm. This is very, very much an impact of why we do what we do today. Mm -hmm. And just healthy food, just living, growing up on healthy food. You know? mm. uh, having said that, we grew up on healthy food. Like my mother was a tremendous, tremendous uh, little baker person. And I, I know that I gained from her knowledge, but there was a lot of sugar. And I think we just didn't know at that time. Like, you know, as I was at 16 years old, rebelling against meat, um, I should have been rebelling at sugar about yeah. sugar at the same time, but I wasn't that smart at 16. Yeah. Now I know sugar should have been part of the rebellion. 
I know it's uh, it's amazing the information that we know now, you know, and hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, so baking with your mother was something that you did from a young age. Really young, yes, yes. She yeah. died when I was uh, sixteen, so we oh. started baking uh, as a preschooler. She let me bake my first cake as a preschooler completely by myself. So yeah, yeah it was uh, really a nice. Uh, thing that we share and I pass that on to my own daughter so it's a heritage of being able to bake these things yeah I'm sorry to hear that your mum passed at such oh. a young age well we had we had 16 great years yeah well that's a good way to look at it yeah absolutely um you know with a parent passing with you being at such a young age I can imagine that would have had a huge impact on your life as well and um you know it sounds to me as if you'd already you know grown up quite quickly you mm -hmm. know by the influence of being on the farm but then I can imagine losing your mom at that age also would have you know put you in a position to also um maybe you know mature a little quicker as well oh for sure yeah absolutely there's probably not that many young brides that whip home and you know make all the pastries and breads and things for their for their wedding but uh you know if, you, if you've been doing it for a long time or baking or you just have to be responsible to feed the higher health that yeah. health harvest time and uh but you know i had a really great life there I, i'm not you know that was uh i was only there for 16 years too i went to boarding school after that right. so um you know but those first 16 years were pretty magical too mm. um, i think i had the best of it because you know riding horses and and um you know, just having the wonderful community around us because community is very, very important in rural Alberta. Yeah. And uh, just wonderful friendships, you know. Yeah. Did you have any siblings or do you have any siblings? I have an older sister. Yes. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so you grew up and you went off to boarding school. What were you studying, I guess, at that stage? Oh, no, I just, I went to, uh, at 16, I just went to finish high school. In, oh, uh, right. In Edmonton, Alberta. So I went to boarding school. Just, Big town, know, Alberta. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that was good, and then of course it's on to to college, to business administration college back in Red Deer. But it was, right. um, yeah, no, it was. There was certainly changes with the loss of that parent. That's for oh, sure. I can imagine. So when you did go to college, you studied business. Was that something that you naturally were inclined or drawn to, or was it something you were sort of put in a position to do because you know there was a possibility that you might go back to the farm one day? No, there was never a possibility in my mind at that age that yeah. I would ever, ever return to the farm, ever. It was, um, I saw, I, you heard me say that I loved it, yeah. but there was no part of me that wanted to return. Right, okay. Um, and so, uh, but, <laughs> as the story continues, I did. But um, the, um, I think one of the biggest impact I honestly had, I'd have to give credit to my father, because although he didn't have boys, he had me. <laughs> and he just, um, he just never stopped sharing business concepts and he was a, a successful business person himself yeah he didn't just farm he had other business interests and uh and i think it opened my mind to the business interests and he challenged me at a very very young age to mm. to sell a house that he had and i do, i wasn't successful selling that house but i succeeded the thought and that was one of my first businesses when i um uh, was as a young adult is that i started having a property mm. company so that's you know he definitely influenced my my life uh, to be interested in business and to see what's possible. Yeah. So that first business that you got up and running and off the ground, what were the greatest, um, what was it that you took away from that? And what have you been able to sort of bring through from your life? Has there been any sort of common threads? Well, you know, I think the common thread in all businesses is that um, how you make decisions mm. and, um, you know, the secret is to just last. I'm not trying to be cute about it, but you just, you know, you know, if something's not working, you have to have that courage to fix it tomorrow. Those are all just, I don't want it to sound like it's flippant. I'm just wanting to say is that you're betting on yourself. Mm. And so if you're going to bet on yourself to make this happen, then there is only one plan A. Plan B is, is <laughs> continuing. Yeah. There's always an exit plan in every business that I've started, but uh, you know, plan A is to is to be 100 focused on making that a successful business. So yeah. you know, but I have to say, the first business that I started uh, could have spoiled me. Thank goodness, it, you know, I survived it. But it was it was a very successful, only not because of what I did, but because of timing. And I mm. just want to make that is is that I was in Calgary, Alberta in the perfect time to make money in real estate yep. uh, between 72 and 77. Right. Yes, right. only only went up inflation. And so I ended up with an apartment building and and uh, revenue property. So and just by you know buying them and improving them and buying them and improving them. And that's not so easy for kids to do today. But 
that was what a 21 year old could do then and have a lot of cash in your pocket. Yeah, fantastic. So with that cash in your pocket, where did you go next? To the farm. Right. So you went back to the farm. When <laughs> I said I wasn't going to. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay. And how long did you station yourself there for? 10 years. Okay. Right. And so you were operating the farm? Uh, fully. Absolutely. Okay. Out on that tractor, raising yeah. cattle, uh, doing that, uh, you know, planting the, the wheat and oats at the time. And, uh, you know, even using chemicals like Avidex and Creflon and all those things that, uh, you know, Monsanto makes, you know, yeah. which, you know, was, you know, raising my eyebrows then. But it was a wonderful education because you learned how to, you know, hedge. You learned how to, um, you know, just uh, live amongst in that rural community. And again, I can't emphasize that my, my three children had a very, pleasant start to life because mm. they also had horses and they mm -hmm. also had puppies and they also had this great outdoor opportunity to 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 experience so mm. not a bad journey no 100 percent. so and so you've got three children how old are they now oh no i'm not going to reveal that because then you'll know how old they are <laughs> fair <laughs> enough but they're, they're, all, they're, they're all growing up okay they're probably around my age yeah for sure yeah. so they've all flown the coop um, and so you got um, Wise Bites up and running, and what I found was that it was established just towards the end of 2012. So tell us about sort of the the pre-story around Wise Bites, how it, the idea came to fruition, and um, some of the early thoughts that um, you had revolving around what you wanted the business to be, and sort of how you made it happen. Yeah. Okay. So after another an additional two businesses, um, I came back from living in Geneva and um, I was very concerned that what I was hearing on the news was um, that um, there was food poisoning and melamine in baby food. There was oh, wow. uh, uh, watermelons blowing up in fields. There was um, a report from Reuters that, um, a router, I should say, uh, that the health of Canadian children was on the decline. And this was just, you know, this was really, does not sit well for me that we're here we are in a developed country yeah. and we're sitting here with this huge problem and so i was just talking to my daughters and saying you know it'd be really nice if we could just you know reinvent the classics i have this business experience what would happen if we just took the classics and reinvented them to reduce sugar to begin to reduce sugar and what would that happen that and that sort of prompted uh, 11 months of research mm. of which time i was also at the same time as doing r d development for those i was challenging myself to see if I couldn't um, reduce all of the 11 top allergens actually uh, you know first by starting with uh, gluten-free flowers that that was the first journey and I was happy and satisfied with what we were getting, I was producing then and then I thought well why don't we just take out dairy too let's see if we can do that and well now that dairy's gone can I manage to do it without eggs and uh and so it was just kind of like that. I, I, it was a very interesting maybe because I would spend a full day uh, in R&D work. And at the end of the day, I would have an absolute disaster. And for someone who started baking when she was five and six years old, um, you know, it's, it's quite an experience emotionally to see your entire eight hours of work in front of you and it does not work. But you have to go so slowly with science and you know, you can only change one thing at a time. And it's a, variable. it's a yeah. big, big job to sort of, you know, track the percentage and and, and to really, you know, sit down and, and determine what you can try at the same time you're doing research to see, well, what else could I do? Do I have to reinvent the whole thing? What else have other people done? Is there science there that I can follow? So that was part of it. But so on days when I, you know, I would sort of do like three days a week in that, and then I would jump to two days a week of, uh, just due diligence on the business side. What would it like to have a factory? What would it happen if you need to look for distributors? You know, what would it look like? So, yeah, it was just a, it was a nice 11 month journey. Mm. And um, how many SKUs did you launch with? Uh, well, it, 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 basically we launched with 10. 10, okay. 10. Yeah, uh, but they were not 10 completely different recipes. Two of them were, three of them were done with, uh, in in different shapes like the different sorry in different serving sizes got you okay so uh, uh so taking those three off it would be like seven unique uh recipes and 
and the, the, the 10 and, total and the variables from there. Yeah. Understood. Did you start in your own facility or did you start in a commissary oh, kitchen? I did. I started on my own facility. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you purchased a facility and then built it and then hit the ground running. We, we rent this facility. So just to back up from right. that, we, yeah. all R&D was done. Um, and we did rent at night uh, a facility in Victoria, not too far from where I lived. Right. And, um, and so we could go in to sort of try to scale up the production mm. to see what that would feel like. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then those were sold through, uh, not sold, those were sold through um, farmers markets and things like that that we tried. Right. Just to make sure that we are on the right path with the products. And yeah. Then, then, then it was a big leap of faith to come over here. New, and one of the things that I, I, I really missed is I had a wonderful business network in Victoria, BC. Mm. And coming here on in July first, two thousand and twelve, um, I spent the next you know six months turning this facility into something that could be passed because that's a huge process to get yeah. you know Vancouver Coastal Health and uh, the Richmond City of Richmond and everybody happy with inspections and so you know time goes by just to to do that but i certainly didn't have a network around me yeah 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 i can imagine that um you would have definitely have had some moments of you know questioning yourself in the direction that you were taking what did you sort of uh, when you were having those moments what was it that sort of kept you going forward and sort of what were you putting stock in you said that you know entrepreneurship really is having the ability to bet on yourself is that something that you're really leveraging the fact that you knew that you had the potential and the the capability to do it yes either that or the uh, you know more guts and gainers mm -hmm. <laughs> um you know i think that when you i've always bet on myself because you just keep going to make things happen yeah and um and you know you, you, there are changes and uh, and uh, modifications as you go along mm. uh, that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur if you see something you know, in the morning you want to change in the afternoon, you, you have that privilege. Yeah. You are also responsible for everything that happens as well. So that's mm -hmm. the other half of that. But I, I think if I could say at this point, you know, just trying to, um, one of the things I would do better when I got here the first day, July 1, July 3, uh, I should have been on the doorstep of small-scale food producers and BC food processors. So I'd like mm -hmm. to plug both of those organizations as being, you know, really wonderful networks for people who are entering into CBG packaging. Right. And and the consumer, consumer package goods, I should make sure that that's clear. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, the, the sooner you can build a network, easier it is to become, yeah. you know, so very and this, Yeah, and this was your first um, step into the realm of CPG as well, wasn't it, when you started WiseBite? Really? So I can imagine there would have been a really steep learning curve. Yeah, none of my businesses have been, you know, like a parachute into the next one. It's been always uh, a different mountain to climb. Yeah, wow. That, um, that shows a lot of resilience. Um, my dad is exactly the same. Like he left school at the age of 14 and did his um, carpentry and joiner um, apprenticeship with his father, my grandfather. And uh, when they sold that up, my mom and dad um, bought a news agency. Wow. And then from the news agency, they bought into a paint business. And then from there, uh, they operated that for years. And when I was around um, 11 or 12, uh, mom and dad bought um, the fast food cafe outlet in a um, shopping center food court. Wow. And operated that. And then dad stepped out of that realm and uh, into um, funeral homes. So as an undertaker. So yeah, he, yeah the, the path that people take can mm. um, zig and zag, but it's amazing how, um, you know, if you do have great work ethic and if you do believe in yourself and the capability that you can change and adapt, you can do anything. Yeah. You know, I, I think your father and I would have a great uh, dinner conversation because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not more special to, yeah. to be an entrepreneur in any way. Uh, and it isn't any more special to be a serial entrepreneur. It's just how that individual wants to write their book, right? Yeah. And, and I, I have my own story and my own book inside me that is, is been clearly a chosen path. I, yeah. I wasn't the kind of entrepreneur that wanted to start something and run it for 52 years, although I have so much respect for those families that do. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is about being able to make them start and, um, contribute something positive to the world yep. and, and be profitable and then I don't have to run it forever. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so you've been at it since 2012 and I can imagine you would have seen a lot of peaks and troughs in the business's performance over the years. Um, mm -hmm. 
and at the same time, as you're scaling the business, you would have been scaling production and really refining your recipes and, you know, your output numbers and so on. But before we sort of go down that path, at what stage did you become certified? Did your facility become certified and you sort of realized that, you know, a certification around all of the value propositions that you've leveraged within your product and brand um, needed to happen? I didn't want to open uncertified. So okay. that's what the six months before. Okay. So when we moved over here, that's what I was doing day after day, sitting in that office, yep. uh, working on, uh, let's say, gluten-free was one of the first ones to get the gluten-free yep. and, and also certified plant-based or vegan. Uh, it was more popular said as that time. So those two were first, gluten-free mm. and vegan. Yep. And uh, I worked on the nut-free um, by just, you know, that's just straight paperwork everything is just straight paperwork and then uh interesting the non-gmo verification is really a process it's mm. really huge and i found there were all kinds of blocks in that um, mm. companies that um that are non-gmo certified um would provide you with you know let's say 12 documents yeah. uh, that you can just upload it sounds all very easy and fine and then you hear from the scientists at non-gmo um institution that you, they actually want more and that's where you start to get resistance from companies in germany for instance for example um where they say we've already provided you with everything we don't want to provide you with anything else and, mm. and you have no political club because you are who <laughs> you're about to start producing in yeah. richmond bc canada and so eventually you start begging them to have their scientists talk to that scientist because in fact they won't share the information with personally the proprietary yep. information so it's it's a it's definitely not you for us was a, was a journey mm. and so has that process changed over the years i guess you'd be in a process of recertifying how often do you go through oh, the every year every, every year, year. Okay. But, but don't forget I, I guess that we should make that clear for young people who are coming up behind me that want to know you know what that process is it never ends so mm. let's be clear mm -hmm. <laughs> we know someone working on certifications all the time Mm -hmm. And I think it's only going to become more because we also opened with our with our uh, full HACCP. We we operate with full traceability the day we opened because I figured, how could you ever teach someone to do that later? It's like mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it'll be so hard to break habits. So yeah, we we put the full traceability in when we started. And, uh, yeah, and so yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. that's a those are full time jobs. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you're right. You know, the building those fundamentals into the business right from the very beginning would definitely have its advantages, especially when it comes to sort of establishing what those corrective actions and, you know, verification procedures are and, you know, all of the record keeping procedures, keeping those all really tight and and, um, and fold away nice and neatly. Um, so going through this process, obviously you've got to engage with the organization. You've got to start the conversation and say, I'd love my facility to become certified in this space. Talk us through the process. You mentioned that they usually send a pile of documents that you need to upload, and then there's a bit of back and forth to get the initial um, certification. And then there's usually an annual inspection or recertification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a little, or let's try and dig a little deeper into that, because I can imagine there would also be some kind of financial outlay that would be oh. around each certification as well. So what are we talking? Like, is it an expensive yeah, process that's, that's or both time consuming? It, before, yeah, it's basically we paid fourteen thousand dollars before we started to sell the cookie. Wow, yeah. and that's every year, so we pay a lot for certifications. But everybody yeah. does, you know. Um, yeah. We need to go, we need to go to the next level of certification. We hope to move our facility to a larger facility in food safety, so we're at the HASP level right now. Yeah, and we'd like to get to the next level. Uh, uh, but we hope to be able to do it just in the next facility, so that you can actually because of the the rules are specific to that facility, yeah. right? So you want to make sure that you're moving along. So yeah, we, we want to do that. But it is, a you know, one of the disappointing things for for me sometimes is when we go to the trouble of being non-GMO and, and uh, certified gluten-free, I see these companies that seem to just get away with one. Okay, we got non-GMO ingredients. Okay, we're, mm. you know, which means nobody's looking, which means, you know, um, it's, they're only as good as the stamp on that package. And it just it just does make you wonder. Mm. We are kosher as well. Um, this has nothing to do with any religious feeling I had, other than that, that the stamp does mean to other people mm. that, uh, that it's a very clean facility. And we have four you know, inspections for five times a year for that. Yep. 
yeah. Yeah. The break comes once a year. Yeah. When you look at somebody's package on the retail shelf and you do see all of those certification um, logos, the cost that is associated with that, I don't think many people understand that it actually costs no. that business, you know, to put that logo on their bag. Yes. And, and the cost that I mentioned to you mm. is nothing compared mm. to the, the salary of the person that's looking after it. Wow. Yeah. 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 And you suggested it's a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. How many employees do you have? Well, that changes. Uh, they call her after COVID. We're small. We, we are, I don't want to allude to people thinking that we're a huge company here. We're, yeah. we're a small company and, you know, employees of eight. Uh, yeah. But certainly we took a hit during COVID. And that's, yeah. so a lot of things have changed. I was, um, you know, kind of shocked uh, today when I, I was actually yesterday, uh, pre-COVID, a box of rubber gloves was four bucks from Uline. And today it's 25. It's just, it's hard for people to understand, you know, when mm. they when they are looking at, and we, you know, we're in, we have lots of retailers won't allow us to give a raise, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting time. COVID for us, for for all of us, is not over. Mm. COVID is definitely not over. We're still experiencing weekly increases in ingredients and weekly uh, shocks that oh that uh, that packaging item that you always buy because it's in town oh they're not going to get their shipment for another month because yeah. some some lane somewhere um across the world is is uh, shut down due yeah. to the variant the variant apparently was the story yesterday so yeah we're not done yet yeah just of covid yeah, we've noticed it here at Food Pack as well, you know, increased shipping times and costs. Um, yeah, I mean, we're working to the best of our abilities to really try and reduce or at least keep shipping times consistent for our clients. But yeah, it, there are huge challenges that we're working with right now. And I can only imagine the impact that it's having on businesses like yours, because you're right, like our raw material costs and freight costs have dramatically increased. And, you know, we have to pass it along so that we can maintain our business. And so you were suggesting that a lot of the large retail banners aren't allowing any price advances. Um, so your hands are kind of tired and your margin just gets eroded. They just send a little email. Yeah. 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 That's hard. How often do you have to, do you often, or how often do you get the opportunity to review pricing with your banners? Well, I think, you know, there's probably twice a year or, or, um, maybe only once a year that you could have a full swing at that. And there's yeah. certainly the blackout periods where you just can't, that's normal. Yeah. 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 So that's fine. Uh, but this is different. But once COVID day, it was like no price changes, no price changes. So yeah. It's, uh, but until further notice. Yeah. And then as I say, some of the retailers, some of the major changes just sent an email to say, we're not accepting it for this year. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You suggested um, when you and I sat down and spoke, it would probably be a little over a month ago that you're proud um, to plant the flag and state that, um, you know, you haven't missed a day of production yet, Yeah. you know, throughout this whole period. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a huge achievement. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're just uh, thrilled to be able to produce and we're so pleased for our staff that nobody's been ill touch wood I am touching wood yeah. and uh, because you just never know what's going to happen with the variant but we have very dedicated staff that have been absolutely dedicated to yeah. you know, living quite solitary lives all of us we really we really miss the social life mm -hmm. you know that we've had but we've been pretty dedicated not to be doing much on weekends for a long long time yeah uh, I, you know, it just, I recently, I had my first Sunday at a mall with a girlfriend in North Vancouver and it was since I haven't seen this woman. That's a really dear friend of mine since pre-COVID. Yeah. It's so bizarre, isn't it? It is pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you usually travel? Like if it was a normal world, do you ever travel overseas? Is that something that's a part of your life? Yes. My husband and I have always loved traveling. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We've, we've traveled a lot and, uh, um, you know, had certainly enjoyed living in Europe for five years yeah. and, and uh, traveled constantly at that point. Um, there's still places we'd like to go. We, the, I guess we, the, the two most recent trips that we went to was Iceland and Peru. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, Peru because I like it warm and Iceland because Roy loves to take interesting photographs. So, uh, yeah, I would say they were both great journeys, both of them. 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, always felt like I would end up going to South America on a coffee trip. Um, previous to Food Pack, I worked at Salt Spring Coffee, and I always felt that at some stage it would be on my um, that it would be on my agenda to um, head on down and do a trip. But it didn't come to fruition within that organization. But I, hopefully, it'll happen one day in the future. You know, it was so fabulous to meet the people who are actually growing quinoa. Yeah. To, to, to meet the farmers and to yeah. to see how they feel about quinoa in in uh, South America and uh, and there certainly isn't a problem with supply that was once rumored, uh, but it, you know the schools are all supplied with the quinoa that they need and uh, yeah. uh, you know quinoa is a very interesting crop. It was deemed by the UN in 2013 uh, as being the international crop of the world for a reason, and that was mm. because it was deemed as a crop that could feed. The, the world the most hmm. with the worst growing conditions and really farmer that's very intriguing to me it, it actually can take frosts whereas a wheat crop if it's frost it's you're really going to lose a lot of it yeah C- canola just does fine or, pardon me quinoa does just fine have with early frost and that's a huge uh, huge thing that means you can grow it at high elevation yeah so. Okay. Do you have direct trade relationships with any of your farmers or are you purchasing all of your um, uh, raw ingredients? When we first started, when we, first started we, we grew, uh, we purchased quinoa from yep. um, the um, farmers in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was wonderful. It was really, really a good uh, opportunity. Yeah. Yep. Really like doing that. It's just the more local we can be with our, our ingredients, the happier it makes me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess a great opportunity to, you know, purchase at larger scale and really drive down your costs as well. How do you manage to, um, or how do you manage your costs at the moment, your ingredient costs? Uh, 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 well, we, we buy, buy pellets, of course. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is one of the reasons why, you know, it makes it harder to manage cash flow because yes. everything that you have to, you know, in order for me to guarantee supply security to my um, chains and stores i've had to increase the amount of stock that we, the ingredients that we carry yeah and of course that is hard on cash flow yeah it's all tied up mm-hmm. yeah so uh, what are what sort of components of the area can you be a little bit free with if you've got cash tied up in your stock you know where are you given the opportunity to sort of be a little bit more free like your labor is pretty fixed i would imagine because you've got your um your shifts that you operate i can imagine you sorry well, labor only has gone up during COVID. Well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Have you managed to automate a lot of processes within the production no, facility as well? No, that's the next step because mm. it, to be perfectly honest, in order to, for us to really, truly bottom, uh, to really uh, scale up to where we're going, we have to move. Only yeah. because there's not room, any more room for us to scale. Yeah. We, we can still produce fine here. We have no problem with um, uh, being able to run second shifts or anything like that. Mm. We've got lots of opportunity. But uh, just the, the uh, there are certain uh, elements of the, this current facility that makes it harder to bring in huge equipment for the next step up. But we can, we can make a start. And, and so we will start. And, uh, and we're basically at that now. I think we, I might be jumping ahead in, in your interview, but you know, that's just my focus now as we, as we do head for expansion is to actually look for an early stage investor because of everything to date I've done on my own. Yeah. And now we were open to um, ha- having an on-hands kind of investor yep. that would participate, you know, bring to the table a skill and also, you know, participate in helping us to, to expand. So that's, that's really exciting. It is. Yeah, it is. What's your vision for the business? Is it to, you know, grow across Canada, become more readily available for more people and then potentially crack down into the States as well? Yeah, the first shipment goes out to the, to the U.S. in December. Ah, congratulations. That's very exciting. And uh, is it any particular market that you're hitting up down in the States or have you um, built a relationship with the banner down there? Uh, we have built a relationship and hence, and hence the, the, the purchase orders. Yeah. Uh, and, but we are so focused right now on expanding in Eastern Canada yeah. uh, that I don't want to do too much in the U.S. Mm-hmm. until we get our, you know, let's just start with these people. Yeah. Let's let's see. This has been a, an amazing uh, experience to go through because, of course, we had to redesign the package mm. and, uh, and pay for the designers and pay for the uh, consultant to tell us that we did it right <laughs> and pay for the, the U.S. coaches. So they're yeah. sitting here that it pays by some miracle because they originally had we were going to pull that first PO in August and then had they had to back that PO 
Creole up a few months because um, of COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 2021, and as I say, it's still it's still there. So we're ready to go for yeah, when yeah. they're ready to go. And uh, there were some new ingredient purchases uh, that had to be made, and so uh, all that's all lined up to go. Um, but so we want to just let's just see that experience before we just head full on down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're just really focused with our lovely new broker, High Level Management, yep. um, and their great team, and um, and we're just building in the east. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, before you embarked on growing across the country, I can imagine you would have had to ensure that all of your labeling is bilingual as well. So oh, yes. yeah. yeah, when you first started out, was it a bit more of a local label and package that you ran no, with? No, we started out bilingual. Did you? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that was because you had the vision of growing the the business in that direction. Yeah. Yes, that's why it's that's why it's a federally registered company from day yeah. one. And we can do business wherever you want to do. So yeah, absolutely. And we did do business. We did do business. We have an online business that's been selling to East and for yep. a while. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your marketing. Where do you focus on when you're marketing the business? Uh, on the actual target customer. Yeah, on your target audience, but also yep. any marketing initiatives that you embark on and uh, yeah, marketing programs. Well, we have two uh, two target markets of who we are. Uh, so we we basically target. Uh, to our first customer, that is all of those people who believe, like us, that we do at Wise Bites, that we can affect our long-term health by what we eat. So yeah. that is very clearly our first target. And that is, they don't necessarily have allergens, they are, don't necessarily need our certifications, but they do need to know that we reduce sugar in our products and that mm-hmm. we have increased protein and fiber in everything we do. So that is our number one core marketing. That's who we market to. We're just uh, healthy snack options, as always say. We're not sinless. We still do have some sugar and getting less and less sugar in the products, the new products as they come out to, we'll have a zero product soon. Um, but the um, the second target is for all those families who absolutely need wise bites. Yeah. There are so many families who say to me, you know, we had to end the dinner conversation. We wanted to have cookies at the table or packing lunch without going okay for the kid that's got the allergy to nuts you know and, and to just have cookies in the household that are, are not something to worry about right mm. or to be able to have everyone on either the same box for, for kids and families i don't know if you know many kids will have allergies but you know one of the things the hardest thing on those kids is not being deprived of the actual food items other people are eating it's having to live with the conversation Hmm. they get embarrassed at 11 years old at 12 years old and they don't want to talk about it and, and suddenly it's just it's too much attention and can't even get on the ferries without and go through the buffet knowing that you can eat at the buffet because you know you can't and of yes. course you can't. I mean, they're doing the right thing by saying that but um so that's a, a customer that really just finds us in many ways so we do we do market to of course and everything yeah. that we do but they need us and so we're here for them and uh, we're dedicated uh, to that i do have a, a member of my family that is allergic to nuts and uh and so you know it didn't seem right to be able to start a company that they couldn't eat our products from mm. and just as it didn't seem right um, uh, to have a company that had, had healthier snack options hayden and then say to all the people with allergies oh sorry you, you can't eat these so that's what i was given to do is to say it's a healthy snack option for everybody yeah you're really including everybody in there that's awesome. It's kind of hard when you've got a target audience that is kind of broad in that mm-hmm. respect because you can target everybody. But through being broad in that respect, you're sort of like really isolating your customer at the same time. So the isolation is coming in the grocery store. I sometimes have right. experience being, okay, these are the people that are gluten free. Let's put them on the bottom shelf at the back corner. Yeah. There. yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going, wait a second. This product, I didn't start this company for the, the, the 3% people or the 8% or the 20%, whoever you want to look at. I started this company so everyone has a healthy yeah. snack option. So our customers are really that that guy who's biking on the weekends and he mm-hmm. loves that triple fudge bar and doesn't hesitate to tell us. And, and for every woman who is crazy about the two bar, two pack bars, because they have one for lunch and one for a three o'clock snack. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are people who buy our products because they work for them and they don't yeah. have a drone allergy in sight. Yeah. But um, on the other hand, um, people are appreciative that they don't have to worry about it. So soccer teams or anybody buying 
snacks to to go and uh, have on the field after the game. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about just taking the rice by the spots and call it a day. That's awesome. And you were also suggesting that um, you know the hot, uh, the school market is huge for you mm-hmm. as well, school mm-hmm. canteens and so on. Mm-hmm. It is uh, oddly enough more in Ontario than here. Yeah, but yes, we we provide to all the Montessori schools. Yeah, right. Well, that's awesome. Um, so when you're actually speaking to your consumers, uh, the, your direct consumers, so B2C, you're speaking through digital platforms as well, or how are you actually getting in front of them? Yes, well, <laughs> um, pre-COVID, we were in the stores all the time. Yeah. Yeah, 8, 10, 12 demos a week. Wow, okay. A lot. Yeah. And were you doing that through a third party or were you doing them yourselves? Oh, uh, we, we've always got permission from everybody to be able to actually represent our own products right. uh, in this greater Vancouver area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're very grateful for that decision by, you know, the heads of the organizations such as mm-hmm. Daryl Johnson and for people um, who, who know the value of having local people do the demonstration. They know the product and uh, uh, can be more knowledgeable for people. As we, we go across Canada, we've had to hire people. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's, yeah you suggested that in the early days when you started at the farmer's market i can imagine and you know it's been mentioned so many times by quite a few guests on this podcast that you know it's a great way to sort of get some early feedback on your product so that you can't iterate and land in a really solid position when you're doing these demos i can imagine it also give you a great opportunity as a somewhat established business to also get feedback in such an instantaneous manner is that what you found as well Yes, uh, you, you know, it's an odd thing for, for the CEO to say, but I can tell you that I love to just hop in to do the odd demo. Yeah, I can't anymore because I'm working crazy hours. Yeah, but I love to get that feedback. And mm. it's very, very positive. And, and it's, um, and, and if it's not very positive, it's so wonderful to get that too, because mm. you would want to know if somebody feels something like that. But I think it's so important to connect to the audience. And mm. so I love people anyway. And so being out there and talking to people is, uh, is always a good day for me. Have you got any memorable uh, pieces of feedback that you'd like to share? You know, I have had people cry. You know, I was in Squamish at the Nestor's store. I know the one. And I was positioned at the front of the store at a big table, which is after people have paid. Do you understand? Yeah. So this family of three kids was going behind me with their full carts and their coats on, leaving. And I just asked her, would you, uh, would you like your children to sample these cookies? And she said, said, no, no, they, they're intolerant to, to gluten. I said, oh, they don't have any gluten. And so she kept a step further. As she walked away, she said, yeah, but they've got dairy. I said, no, no, actually they're dairy free. Oh, but they'll have eggs. No, actually they don't. She stopped and she turned around and she came back to me and she said, no, no, I, you have to make this clear. My children will be very sick. Do these products have gluten in them? Eggs, dairy? I said, no, they don't. And she got tears in her eyes and she said, this will be the very first time my children have ever had an opportunity to taste a cookie in the store. Go ahead, kids. So it was, yeah, it makes me, you know, she was yeah. a mom. People don't realize how much work it is for these mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, their little children are in a store. Everybody else will be feeding the kids cookies, right? You know, but these people can't, and and it's life threatening, and people die, you know. And so, for for her to say, you know, this is this, thank you, you know, it was really really special for me to be able to to experience that with her. That's a great story. Yeah, I can imagine it would have just made all of the hard work and, you know, sweat that you'd um, put into the business, you know, to sort of see the smile on that mom's face and probably the smile on the kids' faces when they had those cookies made it all, you know, worth its while. It was nice. Yeah. My son, we'll call him a high energy child. (laughs) He's got high energy and he's extremely uh, sensitive to sugar. And so we're really, really, um, we're really you know, aware of what we feed young Zave and um, because we notice it straight away when he's had some sugar. And so have you ever heard of Dream Pops? The ice cream's Dream Pops. Yeah. Yeah. So if we give the kids an ice cream, it's a Dream Pop and, uh, you know, they're dairy free, I believe, and, you know, have a a very small amount of sugar in it. And we feel great giving them an ice cream because, you know, what kid doesn't want to eat an ice cream on a hot summer's day, but to know that there's an alternative out there that we can give him, it just 
sort of ticks all the boxes. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And I mean, yeah. especially that ice cream on a hot day. You just watch your child walk around up and down the street watching yeah. everybody else have one and not have yeah. one. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Um, so we've sort of touched on your marketing. I'd love to hear a little bit about your distribution because distribution is the critical piece to getting your product out to those retailers. So who are you working with locally here and um, how did you go about brokering those um, business relationships? Okay, I'm happy to do that. But you know what? Because what? you said the word marketing, I, I want to do a plug for someone that I love working with. Sure. Just before I move on from that. Um, and that's crew marketing. And Crew Marketing is a local company that's done a great job with Wise Bites, and we're very grateful for them to have helped, given us the help that they have. So I just, I'll move on to distribution, but I just didn't want to leave that because they're a great bunch of people. That's great. Okay. So distribution. Yes, we started, um, you know, here I am knowing absolutely nobody in Vancouver. None. Mm. Nobody. I Stupid me. I came over here, opened a building, and, and I don't even know a, di a distributor. I mean, yeah. I've heard of Horizon, and I've heard of Big Mart um, after I got here. So, um, yeah, I just, it was interesting. I, I actually um, made product and made pretty baskets and drove them out to um, Overweighty Food Group headquarters. Yep. And I took one basket over to um, uh, the Vancouver site and uh, didn't have really know what I was doing at all. I just dropped them off. So I got a nice note from the people at Save On Food. And they said, well, the next category review is February, you know, and that was the end of November that I had done that. Yep. And the other uh, people I never heard from, the Vancouver Sun, except two days before the gluten-free show, they phoned me and said, hey, you gave us that basket. Can we come and do a story on you? Because the gluten-free expo is about to be on. And, uh, and so they did. They did a full-page story on us uh, about the woman who started a company that's free of everything. Yeah. <laughs> taste and flavor and deliciousness. And yeah. so... Um, and overweighty saw it and came and, and uh, tasted the products. And uh, I was in their office uh, on a snowy morning, the following morning, Monday morning after, <laughs> after having not sat down for two days at the gluten-free show. So it was a pretty exciting moment for us. And um, they, they placed the, the first wonderful order and we're, we're very grateful for the Save On Food business. Right. So you got your sort of real crack at the um, kick at the can through Save On, you could call it. You could say absolutely say that. Okay, cool. And it all sort of grew from there. It's amazing how when you sort of get one large banner on, it sort of gives your business some level of credibility and trust because, you know, all of the other banners know that you've probably gone through a process to get there as well. So is that what you found too? Yes. And that was, um, so we entered Save On Food at that time with the bakery products. And since that time, we've now this past year developed grocery products. Yep. Yeah, and shelf stable, and so now we have just been fortunate and not easy to enter Save On Food or any chain during COVID. Yeah, so they went in the, the grocery stable. Two of the SKUs for grocery side went in last uh, end of November, beginning of December, and it was very tough time to to enter stores with people off and yeah. tough to get labels and just you know can't do demos, can't introduce it. So I'm yeah. just I'm very grateful to still be there and and um, growing that business. So. So we have more SKUs to show them and yeah, this uh, future ahead. That's fantastic. So that's your distribution. How about your selling? So okay. are you, I'm sorry. Just, sorry, that, that we just, I just turned what we started with, with which, uh, which Big Mart, which grew to Unify, which grew right. to, to Horizon. Oh, right, right, right. Just uh, doing some work with Planet, Planet Foods in Calgary. And, yep. uh, and so distribution has become very, very important. So we do, uh, we have four distributors and uh, we are shipping direct to some as well. Straight to their distribution center themselves. Yeah, got you. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, putting all of those pallets together and seeing the product go out the door and off out into the world, I can imagine would be extremely satisfying, but knowing that you've got people in the supply chain that care about the product as much as you would be really reassuring. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a, always a good day watching yeah. that little truck fill up with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, close the roller door and yeah, exactly. So sales, who have you got out on the road selling the product? Is it more of a, a relationship with um, with your distributors who go out there with their sales force and sell or do you also have a sales team? No, we have eye level market. Okay. Uh, 
digital marketing, which have their own sales team. Right. And, and then we are just in the process of hiring uh, another in-house salesperson. Right. And we're looking for someone who has um, CPG packaging experience. Yeah. And understands what in-house sales are. Right. Um, and so it's really about developing uh, relationships with local local stores and uh, yeah. with all stores, but like a local person with all stores across Canada. So, um, and then the next person that we will hire will be a national salesperson. So at this point, I'm just an acting national salesperson yeah. working in partnership with iLevel mm-hmm. and uh, iLevel take the lead. I'm just here to support. Yeah, a lot of Zoom calls at the moment, but is your vision to have that national person obviously being out on the road and, you know, having handshake conversations like face-to-face? Yes, uh, that person will probably be located in the Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I would love to sort of go back to a previous career that you had. You said that you did some work for the UN. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm intrigued. Oh, my goodness, that kind of fell into my lap. Talk about interesting things. I had left... um, uh, work in Victoria from from having run a high end women's store mm. in, uh, in Victoria, and uh, I was moving to uh, with my about to be come husband to, to Geneva, and just in our paperwork and our discussions, we had read our paperwork as that I would be able to work, and I thought, well, maybe for once in my life, I should just work for somebody else. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. just I'll be newly married, and this would be not a bad idea to take a little easier. And I, when I got to Geneva, it turned out that our paperwork did not allow. Geneva is not an easy place to um, uh, integrate. It takes about six months to do paperwork at the best of times. And so right. it looked like I wasn't about to be able to just work through the normal channel. So it left only one option for me to start a business. Mm-hmm. So I started a consulting company um, that wrote training modules for the UN uh, to present to women in developing countries. And I. Uh, I had this idea that it would be good based on the fact that a lot of the training that they currently had at the UN was really high level done by um, a really high level work, really wonderful work, not no criticism there at all. But mm. who they were teaching to is women who had never even visited a doctor in a developed mm. country, you know, who, who are completely uneducated. That's very important. We have to be responsible when we're selling mm. or teaching entrepreneurship. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone and in developed countries that I had studied about. Sometimes a woman would reach out to to develop, to, to start a, a micro, micro, small company, and yet it would fail. And then, of course, it would be a disgrace involved, right? So you have to be very careful when you're helping someone to, to start a micro, micro business mm. because um, you want to make sure that they have the skill set that they actually do. So mm. I just wrote the training modules. And I showed up on their doorstep of someone who... Um, uh, would like them and it t- turned out that um, uh, she said no and I got a call a week later and said it was yes that uh, they would buy the training modules from me and, and wow. I was asked to deliver on uh, one of the two so that went ended up going to five different countries and, um, and I delivered in South Africa wow so actually like delivering the training to the people themselves yeah. oh yeah. wow so you that wrote was- it and then delivered it yeah, huge. Yeah, it was that was really um, a really special time. Not easy. Uh, no. The people that I delivered to were a cooperative forty five hundred women called Talking Beads in South Africa, in Pretoria, and these women uh, had started at forty five hundred people, but they were losing so many people to AIDS at the time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Around the table, that people would just be disappearing, just disappearing. It was just they would go out and train new people. And their husbands were working in the mines for the largest mining company in the world, Anglo-American. And, um, and they, those men were dying of AIDS, right? And only through the good work of uh, Dr. Brian Brink and in partnership with um, Bill Gates and his lovely wife, um, they had started a whole amazing program through um, Anglo-America to help those men to live because those men were coming home infecting the whole their families and, and mm. families were being left with the, the grandmother to raise them. Right? Children were being left with the grandmother to raise them. So, um, so when I arrived there, this was the biggest issue. Yes, they needed to know how to do a control of inventory, absolutely. But they all and they needed to know how to market. They needed to know how to have a, uh, understand their retail pricing. But what they also needed to know was how to. Um, they had done so much, so much on and helping people with AIDS within their organization. 
uh, but they needed more help, they needed more support. And mm. so it was important to connect them to Anglo-American and have them mentored by that company. And uh, they were very impressed with what Talking Boots had done. In what form of support would that come? Would that come in terms of like financial assistance or would it come in terms of like medical assistance or what variety of help would that come in? Well, you know, because I wasn't only there to train, I can't specifically say what exactly they did, but what, yeah. what I took them to do was yeah. I, I delivered them to in, um, into, into their capital was to be able to um, meet with Dr. Brink and become part of their mentorship program yeah. so that there would be opportunities for um, uh, testing, mm. early testing, so that there would be uh, opportunities for drugs. And so there's a whole program in South Africa that was happening, but you just need the network and that network wasn't there. Mm. So they needed this other network. And I mean, Talking, talking Beads uh, leader, Tim Becca, uh, dedicated her entire life to, to helping these women. Mm. And I was just a very, very small part of that. And it was just a real education for me to see what their lives were like. And, and, you know, certainly my lack of safety to step out the, the front gate, uh, you have to be very, very careful at that time. Mm. So, uh, it was very interesting. very interesting. After having such an eye-opening and, you know, um, experience that, you know, would really potentially shape who you are as well, what was the impact of you coming back to Canada? How did you find it? Did you, was it strange coming back to Canada after sort of witnessing everything that you had and, you know, leaving all of these women behind, knowing what kind of lives they were living? Mm -hmm. No, it was there. I was coming back to Geneva at the time. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Living there. Um, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. And I continued my work um, with the, the Organization of Women in International Trade. Yeah. And we, we did uh, all that particular organization, which, you know, is not a paid position. I'm just saying it's a very important organization. Mm. So we actually worked with um, the trade mission in, in uh, UN for Canada. And we had an opportunity to bring uh, things forward uh, about the Doha agreements and the negotiation for how this impacts the women. So there was a very interesting time for me to, to be able to be at that level and to, to be able to work with other women in that field. So it was just education was just, uh, um, was a wonderful opportunity. To, mm. to be part of that but uh, coming home to Canada was was also hard in many ways we came back for family reasons and um, always happy with that decision because family comes first always yeah. but um, yeah it was a hard adjustment that you're not going to run down to uh, Milan for the weekend and uh, no more week-long trips to Paris and mm. we, we couldn't get enough of Provence so we were spoiled with with uh, the opportunities out of Geneva for sure but yeah um, you know we have wonderful people here in Canada and it's a great place to live and uh, yeah I'm very happy with the decision yeah I bet extremely lucky um it sounds like you've in you know every aspect or every sort of chapter that we've discussed throughout your life on the podcast you've done some deeply rewarding work and uh, you know it sort of particularly revolves around things that you're either passionate about or deeply care about you know whether it was the time spent on the farm you know, your time spent in Geneva and, and abroad, you know, training these women or, you know, in the business that you've built in Wise Bites, you know, you can sort of, you got a lot of feathers in your cap in that respect. And it's all work that I think a lot of people would look up to you and, um, you know, really um, admire you for. Well, um, gosh, let's not play that too, too much. I just, I feel, I feel very, that my life has been yeah. by all of those other things. Yeah. So that's the way I see it. Well, what I was going to allude to is, do you play sort of a mentoring role for people now? Or do you have anybody that you're sort of like, you know, you give guidance and advice to because of all of the learnings and experiences that you've had? Yeah, when I sat on the, the uh, board of directors for the University of Victoria for 10 years, or, or my particular business at Victoria at that time, mm. always had mentored students. They always did. Yeah. Yeah. So we would just one year after the other, we would just take on another one. Wise Bites has also had students here yeah. to mentor. And I've signed up for, you know, going to UBC here and uh, sitting in on their marketing classes to, mm. you know, give them projects and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. it's always nice to be able to do that. Time has is, is not been easier this last year with COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I feel like I've missed out on that part of my life over over this time too yeah. because uh, all of that came to a grinding halt really yeah yeah i can imagine um one last question because we've been at it for an hour now and i've taken oh, up wow. a lot of your valuable time i know it's gone quick hasn't it mm -hmm. 
if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had your best year ever, what is it in particular that you would have accomplished? If we had our best year ever. Mm. Especially coming off the back of a really challenging year that we've just had. Like what would be the the linchpin of you going, that was the best year that I could have ever asked for? For me to have established that expansion mm-hmm. that I believe we need to do. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. It's going to happen. It is. It is. It was opening my mind to uh, uh, to to uh, a partnership again. Uh, yeah. So that uh, that decision has been made now. So now we can open the door to to those and explore those opportunities. So I'm, it, it is it is truly. You're absolutely right. It's truly an exciting time. Good for you. That's awesome. I can't wait to, um, you know, keep on watching you grow from a distance. And um, I'd love to have you back on the show in 12 months time and hear about how the this 12 month period that you're about to embark on has been for you. Gosh, I better pull up my socks and get at it. <laughs> this darn barrier is just not going to cause any more problems. But yeah, I know. Yes, I know. Exciting and challenging for, for everyone. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful family around me. Yeah. And uh, any strength that I get is really, um, uh, my strength really comes from, from having this wonderful family around me. Oh, that's great. Um, listen, Kathleen, if anybody wanted to reach out and ask any questions, whether it's about the certification process and you could offer them some direct advice, or if they had any questions about Wise Bites and the, you know, the path that you've been on there, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, they could easily just send an email to info at wise-bites.com. Yep. Check out on find me on Clubhouse or just uh, reach me and DM me on Instagram. Yeah, there's any ways. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I love hearing all welcome. about your story. You're very welcome. Have a wonderful evening with that family of yours. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.